Uh, okay, I'm I'm uh, altering our usual format just a little bit. Uh, you know how I sometimes I'll put well a lot most of the time now I put a clip at the very beginning of the episode that precedes the theme music mm-hmm. with no context. It's like it exists outside of the show itself. You know, mm-hmm. uh, today. So last week I said that uh, I had ordered the audio from the Marbles trial, right? Yeah. Uh, they called me and left a voicemail while I was at work on Friday, so I wasn't able to go pick up the audio before the office closed. However, uh, Maggie did get a copy of the audio, and she gave me this clip, which uh, I'm going to use to open the show. Um, have you listened to Rock Hard Caucus in the past week or so? I have. Um, is that something you regularly listen to? I do. Is that in an investigative capacity or in a personal capacity? Both. <laughs> so that's Detective Ian Mallory uh, being asked some questions by attorney Gina Messimer. And with that, that'll open the show, and the theme music will begin now. <laughs> have to do that in post <laughs> was she surprised when he said yes it sounds like she like took a second to <laughs> yeah, so her, I, ask her next question yeah i wasn't in the room for that part right i had to miss that so i i can't uh really answer <laughs> what the uh the mood was if anyone was expressing surprise i i believe uh there was probably an audible gasp among uh, <laughs> most of the rooms yeah <laughs> audience there uh, all right, this is episode 136 of Rock Hard Caucus, your very favorite uh, podcast about the culture, politics, and news of the state of Iowa. And this episode is dedicated to Neil High. Uh, Neil is a cat, and I quote here, he's very much alive but deserves more recognition. So this is for you, Neil. I am recognizing you. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like Neil. I've met Neil a couple times. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a good boy. Yeah, he's never been super friendly to me, but he's he's yeah, a nice. He's, uh, he's, he's standoffish. Mm-hmm. He's um, a big strong guy. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a big strong guy. Doesn't need no, <laughs> doesn't need no woman. <laughs> uh, so I, I I'm really sorry to have to do this to you again, Evan. But we're going to talk about Satan again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew this was uh, on the on the platter <laughs> on the agenda. So. so that, guy who drove up here from mississippi to destroy the baphomet statue in the iowa state capitol he has been charged with a hate crime i don't know if we ever got to that before we got sick of talking about it but yeah he has been charged with a hate crime uh he raised a whole bunch of money on gofundme or uh uh what's he called I don't remember the name of the website, but there's like a racist GoFundMe or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, Just racist GoFundMe. Uh, the works. unwoke GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I've got here, this is like the latest news on this subject. Um, uh, Jason, it's probably Keebler, you know, like the one of the elves. Mm-hmm. It's K- K-O-E-B-L-E-R. That's probably Keebler, right? Yeah, I think so. Cobbler, maybe. Uh, Jason Keebler of 404 Media uh, submitted a FOIA request of uh, our state government uh, regarding the Satanist statue and the governor's response to it. Uh, She basically called for uh, a a prayer vigil at the state capitol (laughs) 
because she also opposed the Baphomet statue. Uh, so I'm going to read here from Jason Keebler's article a little bit. But he also included the uh, 100 and, let's see, 211, actually, page PDF that he received in response to his request. So that's going to take us down a bit of a different rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> so we, we won't necessarily have to talk about Satan that much. I know that uh, Satan is a controversial figure. Uh, Listen, on I have no problem um, with Satan. <laughs> I don't have any beef with Satan. Um, just this whole thing seems a little bit silly to me, but, um, I guess I'm glad that people are expressing their religious freedom and I don't think that the government should be doing anything to prevent that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, this could have, I mean, it's entirely the fault of conservative Christians that this is blown up so much out of proportion. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that's, that's the point of the whole thing is like. They put up a little statue that doesn't really mean anything because if you're going to allow religious displays in a government building, you have to be open to everyone Mm -hmm. and you don't have to freak out about it. (laughs) This would have just gone by. Yeah. Not a big deal. If some guy hadn't driven up here to in order to kickstart his own media career by uh, committing a crime. (laughs) Yeah, I also like to see that the uh, state of Iowa is applying the laws very fairly and and hitting this man with a hate crime charge for his (laughs) definitely (laughs) hatefully motivated act. Yeah, it it is interesting. I wonder how much of that will stick. But anyway, here's uh, some of what Jason Keebler wrote for 404 Media. Internal documents about the government's handling of a satanic holiday display in Iowa, which the public has the right to view, are stuck in administrative hell. Governor Kim Reynolds' office has cited an executive privilege that possibly doesn't exist as one of the reasons for fully redacting 27 pages about the display. Another state agency has said that it will give me documents about the display, which featured a statue of the pagan goat-headed Baphomet idol, if I pay them $810 to provide basic <laughs> records. So, yeah, this is a, go sort of another... Go and me and get $810 <laughs> under false pretenses and then... <laughs> get the pages yeah so this is opening up a whole nother uh line of of inquiry about the situation is like both the governor's office uh their refusal to comply with the freedom of information act and statewide like i know that a friend of the show noah peterson has encountered this many times he is uh Mm -hmm. very actively submitting FOIA requests all over the state and they often will uh, demand like absurd amounts of money to fulfill those requests. Uh, essentially, I mean, I think that it's like kind of a violation of the spirit of the freedom of information. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, like this is this is information that the public legally has the right to access and view. Yeah, and you are pricing them out of being able to do that. Yeah, and it's like he's requesting it as a member of you know journalism, but he's. Uh, you know like anyone should be able to access these. yes yeah, right right it's not just for journalists and 810 dollars is going to be prohibitively expensive for <laughs> most of us poor poor schmucks <laughs> and the the point i mean the point of making a request like that is you don't know what information is going to be within there so you don't know right. that it's yeah gonna be right you don't even know it's going to be useful or important. worth 800 dollars. yeah <laughs> yeah uh and i'll and like they would theoretically get in trouble if they were withholding certain things from uh, a FOIA release, but it takes, like, you don't know what's in there. You don't know what they're withholding. It mm-hmm. requires a whole bunch of 
other administrative yeah. bullshit to ever like make yeah. it right. I really appreciate in this article that there's a an animated GIF of just scrolling <laughs> through a PDF document with completely blacked out pages. Yeah, uh, very good visually, <laughs> visual uh, aid there. Yeah, yeah, and that's as far as I can tell. That's very unusual for them to like <laughs> yeah. blackout an entire page. Like even mm-hmm. if even in those like really absurd like FBI document releases where it's like every word is blacked out, it's not the entire page. There's still right. white space, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's got so um, he made this request, and then he includes the uh, response that he received on February 9th from the governor's office. Uh, on December thirteenth, twenty twenty three, we received your request to inspect certain records. It is our understanding you were seeking. Any communications, memos, emails, or letters regarding the display, as well as attachments, any photos or media of the display, any complaints about the display, any communications, memos, emails, or letters between the agency and members of the Satanic Temple, any communications that mention Satanic Temple, uh, the application and approval process documents related to the Satanic Temple's display, and any internal guidelines or policies referenced in the decision to permit the display. So pretty wide-reaching uh, requests. And what he got uh, was this. He includes the PDF of everything he received in the article. There's a link to it. Like I said, it's 211 pages. Do you have that pulled up? I could also share it with you if you want to look at it, Evan. Um, I just have the 180 repeating pages of <laughs> public news <laughs> articles, I think. Yeah, he uh, Jason Keebler describes it as... Uh, 180 repeating pages of public news articles. Yeah, like you just said. And it opens with... I'm just going to pull it up so you can look at it too. It opens with this email from Brad Sherman. This is page one, uh, broken image link. It's just the square with the red X in it. That's iconic. (laughs) Very promising first page of a 200-page FOIA release. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I think we talked about Brad Sherman uh, when we were initially discussing the Satan issue. Uh, he was the the state legislator who like freaked out the most and was like, uh, this is a violation of God's law and Iowa is subject to God's law. All of our authority is uh, from the will of the Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, this is he emailed um, Molly Severn on December 8th. Uh, Molly is, I think, uh, either, I think she's uh, Kim Reynolds' deputy chief of staff for context. Uh, Brad Sherman's email, in addition to the broken image link, it says, uh, according to the opening lines of our Constitution, that's the state Constitution, the foundation for laws and continued blessing and success in Iowa is based on these points. There is one supreme God. Blessings over this state come from the one supreme God. All those words are capitalized. One supreme God. We must depend upon the one supreme God if we want to enjoy continued blessings. He is, uh, he is denying the idea of freedom of religion for anyone who claims to uh, worship Satan. That's, that's not a legitimate religion, I guess. <laughs> he also puts the laws of God before the constitution of the state of Iowa, which is uh, definitely concerning for a state legislator. <laughs> <laughs> He calls it a disgusting display. These people are fucking like, imagine, imagine Brad Sherman watching like a Tim Burton movie. He'd be <laughs> terrified. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I wonder there's... He must, like, be... I wonder what kind of evil acts <laughs> Brad Sherman has done that um, <laughs> the Satan uh, display, like, makes him remember and want to purge mm. from his <laughs> from his mind. Yeah, yeah. I think you're onto something there. Like, the statue of Baphomet, Baphomet reminds him that he is destined for hell someday. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is this is a guy who's not going to see heaven, and he he's trying to push that thought aside as much as possible during his earthly life. Yeah. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, based on the laws of God and the constitution of the state of Iowa, and for the purpose of securing the blessings of God upon our state, I'm calling for our governor to have this blasphemous display removed immediately based on the grounds that it is unconstitutional and offends God upon whom the state of Iowa depends for blessings. Look, I don't want to be like a piece of shit about people's religious beliefs and practices, but this is a guy who's like making laws for our state. And he's like, I mean, we must we must not offend God or our our crops will suffer. Like that's the shit <laughs> that he's, he's emailing to the governor. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. You can't you can't base a government in the 21st century off of these ideas. Well, <laughs> maybe you can, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's it's not not great. <laughs> God is is bestowing his ethanol upon us, and for that we must be thankful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just widespread uh, hog slaughter that that pleases God, mm-hmm. <laughs> and dumping all of their waste into the uh, communal water supplies. And then he called for legislation to make uh, satanic displays illegal, and uh, but the Ten Commandments make them uh, extra, super legal, which I think we already discussed before. <laughs> yes. And then it's followed by, so this is basically what Jason Keebler was saying, uh, repetitive uh, public news articles. It's a series of emails from Colin Crompton, who is Kim Reynolds' uh, communications guy, uh, also well-known by uh, uh, Twitter people as a, a guy who once tweeted the N-word and deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> I think when he was like in high school or something, but not that that makes it okay, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just like hundreds of pages of Colin Crompton sent, like copying news articles into an email and sending it to all of Reynolds' staff. <laughs> this is his job? I figure that's like, like what the pretty fuck? big, big <laughs> part of being a legislator is just emailing articles back and forth. Um, none of them are uh, like chain emails, though. Like there, there's not like you know, like Bill Gates is going to send you a million dollars if you forward this on to all of the top ranking members of the Iowa State government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, I didn't like control F Satan to see like how many of these articles were actually relevant, but just like bird's eye view, uh, almost nothing is relevant in this entire PDF. Yeah. A lot of it's just like about the presidential race, like about Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's a ton of this shit from Colin Crompton, which I'm rapidly scrolling past. <laughs> And then there's um, uh, when Reynolds, uh, this was her, her like press release. Like many Iowans, I find the satanic temple's display in the Capitol absolutely objectionable. In a free society, the best response to objectionable speech is more speech. 
And I encourage all those of faith to join me today in praying over the Capitol and recognizing the nativity scene that will be on display, the true reason for the season. So she was smart enough not to follow Brad Sherman's demands and uh, remove the display, which would obviously put them in a, a bad legal situation, but still is from the governor's seat, openly endorsing one religion over all others, mm-hmm. which I have a problem with, but is obviously a pretty common practice for most government figures. <laughs> True. Uh, and this this is uh, just several copies of her sending that press release to various uh i i don't actually know who these people are like ryan caps dax oberuder morgan fritz i don't know jacob nicholson i think these are people who have some some like uh administrative role in the government somewhere Mm -hmm. there's like 50 copies of that then we get to the good shit (laughs) uh there's an email from laura bellin to colin crompton I'll just read what she said, because it's it's a good point. Colin, is Christianity the official religion of Iowa? And if not, why is Governor Reynolds calling on all Iowans to recognize the nativity scene that is grounded in her Christian beliefs? Would Governor Reynolds think it's appropriate for Governor Josh, Josh Shapiro to call on all Pennsylvanians to join in Jewish worship and recognize Jewish symbols in their state capital as the true reason for the season? <laughs> uh, I'm Might gonna- as well. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the answer that Kim Reynolds would supply is no. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, yeah, I respect Laura, um, but she's very intent on like exposing Republican hypocrisy when right. it's kind of beside the point. Yeah. Uh, there was no response included in the, <laughs> uh, the document here. So I don't think Colin bothered to dignify Laura with the response. He was actually uh, like, Okay, I succumb to your logic, and you're 100 percent correct, and we're in the wrong, and we're gonna we're gonna change it, and we're converting to Judaism, <laughs> and we're converting to Judaism. <laughs> it's it's got uh, it's it's uh, its roots go further back than Christianity, which makes it more correct, obviously. True, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Laura Bellin actually comes up in that 404 Media article uh, more than once because she has also dealt with this state's uh, backwards FOIA practices and has had to take legal action to uh, make them comply with that. Uh, But where this gets really interesting, they included an email from somebody named Susan to Colin Crompton. And let me just, uh, it's a little long, but I'm going to read the whole thing and then we can discuss sort of where's this coming from? What's going on with, with Susan here? She sent this on December 12th. So at the height of the uh, Iowan satanic panic, Susan said, this is a Christian holiday, the birth of Christ. So much of the state's behavior is explained by allowing this in the Capitol. I am at a loss of words, and this has nothing to do with freedom of speech. I am a Christian. All caps here. America was founded on Christian morals and laws. It's interesting to see Christians are persecuted and our rights are being taken away slowly, one piece at a time prayer removed from schools when demonology and satanism is allowed in the capital to represent the people we are doomed when hoverner reynolds <laughs> look i, I don't want to <laughs> i don't want to pick on the typo too much but hoverner reynolds, <laughs> reynolds is really good <laughs> it's pretty like funny. she's just like <laughs> she's got a magic carpet and she's yeah. <laughs> hovering <laughs> hovering around the premises of the capital <laughs> 
Hoverner Reynolds uh, carried by uh, drones all around the office. When Hoverner Reynolds appoints Beth Skinner as director of prisons, who is married to a female director of programs, something is very wrong. Uh-oh. Whoa. Uh, Kim Reynolds is appointing lesbians to the director right, of prisons? It, is that what she's uh, calling out here? Or is there some sort of like conflict of interest that she has a problem with? Maybe both. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But the email starts to take a turn once she introduces that point. Uh, Beth Skinner as director of prisons who is married to a female director of programs. Plus, it's illegal if you look at Iowa laws. Follow the money. (laughs) There are no programs at Newton Correctional Facility. Newton mentioned, right? One of the Mm -hmm. most evil cities in the state. Yeah. In my experience. Pell Grants are awarded and the only classes available are LGBTQ classes. I have my master's in nursing education. That is offensive to Christians, Muslim, Jews, and natives. Freedom of speech? Three question marks. Yes. (laughs) What about Eric Strange, who was thrown in the hole for 15 days because he spoke to a radio podcast person? Obviously, this caught my interest. (laughs) radio podcast person (laughs) somebody is being punished for speaking to a podcast person yeah that's right up our alley (laughs) that's happened in my life (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) i don't don't want that to happen to anybody uh shame shame on you newton correctional facility is your responsibility or your photo and name should be removed from all paperwork and walls I have watched these prisons do white torture on inmates for horrendous amounts of time. Is I didn't look this up. I forgot. Is white torture like a... White torture? <laughs> is that like some kind of torture or is it like white slavery? <laughs> is it like that? Oh my God. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, is torture more wrong if you do it to white people? <laughs> White torture is actually against the Geneva Convention, uh, along with white phosphorus. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on. I, there is a Wikipedia page for white torture. Okay, this is a real term. Okay. Often referred to as white room torture is a type of psychological torture technique aimed at complete sensory deprivation and isolation. So kind of like a okay, solitary like a padded, confinement padded and stuff. Cell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, Susan. I, I didn't mean to laugh at... <laughs> Your reference to white torture. I mean, yeah, there's there could have been a lot of interpretations of that based on this person's email. So right, she's displaying some other uh, tendencies to bigotry. So you know, extreme sentencing. Yet the prisoners with multiple pre's released, knowing they will return. Uh, that's P R E A S. I did she mean priors? Multiple priors, maybe or um, yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what, what that part is. The this, this is pretty ugly here. The worst of the worst LGBTQ released. What is wrong with you people? So she's, she's suggesting that like gay prisoners should never be let out, locked up for life. The worst of the worst LGBTQ. Hmm. Like being gay or trans is itself a crime is what this sounds like. Yeah. Uh, that is a psychiatric disorder in itself, well known by credible psychiatrists. I think that's probably been <laughs> debunked at this point. Uh, so sad and wrong on so many levels. You have one person determine families cannot see each other. Prison families sit back and watch children trafficked by the state. 
Letters from psychiatrists informing the DOC they have created a group of children that are known as silent victims that you continue to traumatize. Again, I ask, what is wrong with these people? It is not the system works slowly. The system is broken, corrupt, and full of nepotism and retaliation at Newton Correctional Facility and the other prisons. Have a Merry Christmas! (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot in in that email from Susan. Um, Parts of it, I I think, are pretty nasty. Like, she clearly hates gay people and and thinks that... Yeah. uh, Like, this all started with just, like, a a goat statue at the Capitol, and she went into all this other shit. Yeah, well, (laughs) and the thing is, is, like, she's probably right about the terrible things happening in prisons. Like, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not really... I mean, that's a horrible... The prison system is horrible. Yeah. I, I have not had a lot of time to research this, but I posted a screenshot of this email on Twitter and I was like, anyone know who Eric Strange is? Because like that was the part that piqued my interest the most. She mentions a guy by name. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, a friend of the show, Noah Peterson, our Newton correspondent, he knew all about this. And also uh, Newton Daily News journalist, uh, Chris Braunschweig, very helpfully provided a link to a letter to the editor that this guy sent to his paper. Hmm. Uh, Susan spelled her name wrong. It is, uh, Susan spelled his name wrong. I mean, uh, Eric Strange. It's with an E. It's not strange. Um, so it could be Strangy or something too. I haven't found any pronunciation on that. <laughs> so Eric, from what I've been able to find, is a guy who had some kind of sex offense when he was pretty young. He says he was 19 years old in this letter to the editor, and he's been in prison ever since. I'm going to read a little bit from his letter here. Uh, My offense took place when I was a 19-year-old sophomore in college and involved no sex, no rape, and no minors. He doesn't get more specific than that, but just seems to be making the point that this is maybe a bit overblown. I I don't know. Uh, I've been incarcerated for more than 16 years now, and after successfully completing treatment at Newton Correctional Facility, I fully expected and was led to believe I would finally be released. Instead, my family and I were all shocked and blindsided with the prospect of being reviewed for civil commitment. Mm -hmm. Is this a process that you are aware of at all, Evan? Uh, I am. Uh, There is a louis thoreau documentary i watched a long Hmm. time ago about this happening in california in particular um i I know what happened i think he said 20 states but yeah Yeah. basically uh you know if you're like convicted of a sex offense you serve your entire term then they're like at the end they're like well actually you're gonna go to a civil commitment and they have even separate facilities in california where people go and it's basic it's prison but it's like less restrictive um, mm-hmm. I guess, and that they can, it's like a campus sort of thing. But yeah, obviously it's like kind of a huge, I, I would consider it a huge civil rights issue. Um, yeah. but the thing is not many people are willing to advocate for sex mm-hmm. offenders. Um, which is, yeah, it's complicated of course, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like if you get your sentence and you serve it, you know, it's, that's, that's it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you isn't that the whole point? Like people go into this thinking that like you're sentenced to serve a certain amount of time. Most people don't even serve the full sentence, right? But then at yeah. the end of it, there's well, like and then, you know, there's committee sex that says actually, and- actually we can keep uh keep you confined indefinitely. Yeah. <laughs> indefinitely. Yeah. 
Um, which I don't know. I like, I know I've seen like recidivism rates for sex offenses are higher, but the same logic doesn't apply. I mean, it does. I'm sure people would, would advocate for doing the same thing for like murderers or whoever else, but, um, don't, don't really think that's how it should work. No. Yeah. And obviously prison is a huge problem in our country in particular. Like we, we yeah. go, we love locking as many people as possible up for as long as possible and uh, forcing them to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> Very bad. Uh, you mentioned this a second ago, but uh, Eric also mentions it in his letter. Iowa is one of only 20 states that has civil commitment and uses this as a way to incarcerate someone indefinitely. In the history of civil commitment in Iowa, only 27 individuals have ever been released. A committee of unelected members appointed by the Department of Corrections, known as the MDT, which was um, multi-discipline... Fuck, I had this in my brain earlier. Like I said, I didn't have a lot of time to research this. The MDT is uh, it's a committee of people who decide if uh, sex offenders should be released at the end of the sentence that they served. Uh, the MDT simply has to feel, in quotes, a person might commit a crime in the future to justify a review for civil commitment. It is not democratic to incarcerate people on the hunch they might commit a crime in the future when a crime has not actually been committed. This is what the MDT is doing to people at Newton Correctional Facility in Newton. The Attorney General's office then delays this review process until a person is within 90 days of completing their entire prison sentence, extending an individual's incarceration by many years, seven additional years in my own case. So that's that's just extension by, like, reviewing the suggestion that a person should be considered for this uh, mm-hmm. uh, commitment, right? That's not even like deciding, yes, we will continue to confine them. That's just like delaying the review process. Yeah. Yeah. The MDT deciding to send cases for further review imposes a silent mandatory minimum and denies the person any reentry opportunity through parole or work release. Uh, This needs to stop. Every incarcerated individual who this is being done to deserves to be reviewed by a fair legal process. And then he talks about how the the label of a sex offender is maybe a little too broad and some some sex offenses are not as serious as others um but mm-hmm. anyone who has any sex offense at all is uh basically labeled as a sexually violent predator and subject to these continuations of their prison sentences so that that was a, a surprising sort of diversion in the middle of this uh foia request that i yeah this had completely like passed me by i was not aware of this at all yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I don't think it gets discussed really like at all. Um which yeah, it's yeah, you think the ACLU would be <laughs> like I mean, I'm sure they are, not that they yeah, aren't, yeah. but yeah, it's just I don't think it has much public consciousness. People don't want to think about this. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. But it's just shocking to me that like a judge sentences you to a certain amount of time in prison and like unless you're committing more crimes while you're in prison, like that's supposed to be it. Mm -hmm. That, that is supposed to be it. It's kind of like, (laughs) it's kind of uh, the whole way the justice system works or supposed to work. Right. Right. Yeah. And not to be like the kind of idiot who compares real serious problems to something I saw on a TV show, but, (laughs) uh, the, uh, the star Wars, uh, 
Disney Plus series Andor, which is probably the best Star Wars media that's ever been released. Uh, there's a whole arc. There's a three episode arc where the main character ends up in an Imperial prison. And a big part of that story is that the Empire, like, unilaterally is extending people's prison sentences without any kind of hearings or anything. And that is what leads to uh, a prison break and a revolt by the prisoners. Mm. So something that that seems like a very dystopian, over-the-top plot point for a science fiction show is basically real, which I had not realized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know about the Star Wars thing, but I I will say I think that's probably a bigger, more important issue than the uh, Satan uh, thing at the Iowa State house. Um. (laughs) I I think so as well. (laughs) So that's basically all of interest in this FOIA release, right? And then you get to page 185 and you get the full, fully blacked out pages. Absolutely nothing in there from page 185 to 211. It's all completely blacked out. This is uh this is more extreme censorship censorship of uh release documents than like the CIA, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so based on what we are able to see in this document, you know, a couple really only a couple of emails from like regular people to the governor's office about this. One person who's very mad about the satanic display and mad about some other more legitimate concerns. Uh, and then Laura, who's pointing out that they are endorsing one religion over all others. They didn't show us anything else. So I have to imagine that at least some of what's in that uh, blacked out part of the document is other members of the public reaching out to them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I It's got to be embarrassing, whatever it is, um, in some <laughs> way or another. Um, yeah. I, I assume the actual meat and potatoes of the government's responses is in there. Um, probably yeah. some, maybe some embarrassing emails back and forth between certain members uh, of of the state house or Kim Reynolds administration uh, yeah. discussing about how they're going to deal with <laughs> deal with this. I don't know. I guess you got to get send eight hundred and ten dollars to four hundred four media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reasoning that they gave for uh, redacting so much is uh, the there were records withheld and or redacted based on confidentiality and or privilege. Records withheld or redacted were based on the following confidentiality and or privileges, attorney client privilege, attorney work product, executive privilege, and Iowa Code section 22.7 clause 18. I don't know how to how you're supposed to reference parts of the iowa code (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but it's 22.7 and then 18 in parentheses uh so the article goes on this is back to uh, jason keebler of 404 media attorney client privilege is a common public records redaction but executive privilege is not (laughs) and I guess the, that specific part of the Iowa code that they referenced allows the government to redact some documents relating to identified persons outside of government. Mm-hmm. But again, we just read emails from Laura Bell and, and that lady, Susan. Susan's last name was yeah. in there, but I didn't read it because I don't know yeah, who she is. That's true. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you do see lots <laughs> of like FOIA um, documents that just have names blacked out and stuff, which is what you'd expect to see not a right. whole black page <laughs> right if that was the reason they could easily hide the person's like 
contact information or whatever, but it's all blacked out. Mm-hmm. They also got some quotes from Randy Evans, formerly of the Des Moines <laughs> Register, who now uh, works for the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. I don't know if saying he works for them is is the right uh, way to talk about it. It's I don't know that they make any money. I think it's like a board. Yeah. Well, I think also in this article they talk about how they uh, sent a similar request for like way more documents uh, for mm-hmm. something for like Washington State and how they got it back like for free within like a week or two <laughs> yeah. of them sending it. And then also apparently they only found like oh, how many they found like 166 emails that were related to this Satan um, request. And they said it would take 17 hours and cost $45 per hour. So that's uh, well, I guess they eventually found more emails to get to a total of $810, but they're saying mm-hmm. it costs basically $45 an hour to process like 10 emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is, which, basically I, just... which is saving it and <laughs> like, yeah, like saving it to a PDF document or whatever. Right. I assume they have to at least like look over it and make sure there's nothing they need to redact legally in there. Yeah, true. But that but... can't take that long. Yeah. Unless they read every single word of all of those uh, Colin Crompton like copy pasted articles emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you get emails that are 20 pages long of just some kid sending you a bunch of articles, you know. That does take time. Yeah. It sounds like a good job, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> this is that other one that's supposed to cost $810. This was a request uh, with the Iowa Department of Administrative Services. So this is the the administration of the Capitol building itself, so separate from the governor's office. This is the one where they found 166 emails. Oh, wait, you were, you were just saying this part, but there's a follow-up to that. So the initial request was... 166 emails, including the word Satan or Satanic Temple, in the date range of October 1st to December 27th. So that's the point where it would take 17 hours, 45 per hour. That totals 765, all right? So that's what Evan was just talking about. In order to make that a little more reasonable, he followed up and restricted the date range to November 15th to December 28th. So that's like a month and a half less emails right Mm -hmm. and that initially they said 166 emails when he made the date range smaller they said they found 197 emails (laughs) (laughs) and so that would take longer to process and increase the price to 810 dollars so something someone's fucking (laughs) something up or they're being dishonest yeah (laughs) um yeah that's uh (laughs) It's a tough, uh, tough call. It's usually a tough call between incompetence and malice. Yeah, especially when we're talking about uh, the government of Iowa. Yeah. I think it's more likely that they just didn't give a shit and they just didn't, like, do a good job the first time. Yeah, this is um, not something they take seriously. Yeah. Anyone who's made a FOIA request can tell you nobody really wants to comply with that law. <laughs> and here's a bit of data about the, the other request you mentioned in Washington. A school district in Washington, they received a 3,803-page document of emails re- relating to some other story that they've been uh, reporting on. So almost 4,000 pages and an additional 53 pages explaining any redactions within that document. And that was, uh, that was free. 
they were given that for free. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 nice. I mean, uh, what's that guy, Jay Inslee? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's all on him. Is he still the governor there? I have no idea. It, yeah, I, I have no idea what. It the, seems uh, like it was long enough ago like, now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he might be out. But it seems like that shouldn't be possible, you know, like for two different FOIA requests to be that that far apart in yeah. terms of like how much you're receiving and how much you're being asked to pay for it. It's it, the the law is not being applied correctly when when you can have such vastly different outcomes. So are you arguing against states rights then? <laughs> I think I am a little bit. Uh, I'm anti-federalist it does it does make yeah it's it is very weird because like yeah it's a federal act you know right yeah obviously yeah i mean it's absurd to ask 810 dollars for for that it's it's 100 percent to restrict people from from finding out this stuff Mm i just want to know where that money actually goes you know (laughs) that's that's another uh big question yeah because the way that they justify asking for that money is like in order for us to process your request we have to have a person dedicated to fulfilling your request for a certain number of hours and we charge this amount per hour to process that request but that's a person Mm -hmm. who already works for them and is already being paid by them right (laughs) yeah rob sand i have a a scoop for you on some fraud (laughs) and abuse and wasteful government uh, practices. I think that you'd be interested in. I think I Rob Chan can yeah. audit the shit out of this and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I, I can't imagine he wouldn't be interested in this because he's also facing issues receiving uh, government documents from different offices right now. Actually, didn't he? Uh, wasn't that a thing that Republicans were mad at him about because there was like some emails between him and Laura Bellin that he didn't, that his office didn't disclose as part of a oh, FOIA really? request? Yeah, I don't I think, think I saw that. Uh, <laughs> it was like a couple years ago. Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, there's some Iowa Field Report stuff about it. <laughs> Interesting. That's something that uh, I... it was a lawsuit. It was an open records lawsuit. I guess it wasn't a FOIA yeah. thing. But either sure. way, yeah, apparently well, that's very closely related. Yeah. But yeah, the state government's been uh, making a great effort to withhold information from the auditor's office because he's the only Democrat in state office. So he should definitely be on board for this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else do we have time for? We, we probably can't get super deep on this, but are you... Uh, this was something that I was not really following, but I was vaguely aware of, that there was an instance of voter fraud in Woodbury County in 2020. Yeah, I think, did we mention it on the show before? Or? Yeah, I, I, I was aware did. of it a little bit. Yeah, same. I'm not sure if we ever talked about this, but uh, Woodbury County is where Sioux City is, uh, part of my secret origin story, Sioux City. And a, a county supervisor's wife was accused of doing voter fraud for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the reason that this came up again recently is because I came across this story from uh, Radio Iowa, a uh, sentencing set for Woodbury County Supervisor's wife on voter fraud conviction. Uh, she is She's going to be sentenced on April 1st. I bet she feels like such a fool now, because April Fool's Day. <laughs> okay, I didn't, even, I didn't even register. Evan was just giving me a blank look when I said <laughs> yeah. that. 
Yeah. <laughs> My jokes are really landing today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started like reading several articles about this to try to piece together what she actually did. Uh, this is, again, from that sentencing article. Uh, Kim Fong Taylor was found guilty on multiple charges in a scheme to illegally gather votes from the Vietnamese community for her husband, Jeremy. So Jeremy Taylor. And I will say he is still in office. He is right now a county supervisor in Woodbury County, Jeremy Taylor. Uh, Woodbury County Auditor Pat Gill was one of the witnesses for federal prosecutors. Gill says workers in his office raised a concern about absentee ballots in the 2020 primary election. There were 135 write-ins for Jeremy Taylor as auditor and 150 in that supervisor seat. And what was noticeable, why they called me down, is the handwriting was all the same. So that's like almost 300 absentee ballots with the same handwriting, writing in the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, And so when he was first, this was first brought to his attention, the auditor, he was like, unless one of these people who turned in this absentee ballot tells me something is going on, I can't really do anything about it at this point. But then a brother and sister came forward and said they were not allowed to legally vote because someone had forged ballots cast in their names. So that's how the whole thing blew up. Uh, Kim was found guilty of 26 counts of providing false information, 23 counts of fraudulent voting, and three counts of fraudulent registration. She faces a maximum penalty of five years in prison for each count. Jeremy Taylor, her husband, was named as an unindicted co-conspirator in the case but hasn't been charged with the crime. Taylor was urged to resign by fellow Board of Supervisors members, but has refused. (laughs) So let me just do quick math here. 26 counts, 23 counts, and 3 counts. That's 52. They said that initially. 52 total counts. She's facing a maximum penalty of 5 years for each count. That's 260 years. (laughs) (laughs) I, I... would be surprised if she spends life in prison for this but what a stupid thing to like risk yeah it's so stupid and the funny thing is he didn't he won by you think 27 votes is gonna swing anything like it's bizarre yeah it's ridiculous like you're better off like actually just like knocking doors at that point (laughs) like all Mm -hmm. the energy like and the thing is is like I don't know. I'm sure that she could have, like, convinced them to vote for him anyway. Like, (laughs) instead of, like, having them, like, (laughs) take their absentee ballots from them and fill them out for them. Right, right. And part of it is, like, okay, so she she herself is uh, is Vietnamese. So she (laughs) has, like, an in with this community of immigrants in the Sioux City area. And, by the way, uh, you know, part of Steve King's career in the state legislature was making it so uh languages other than english could not be present on like voter information uh documents you know yeah so his legacy lives on through incidents like this (laughs) yeah (laughs) like these people basically cannot they're like discouraged from being able to vote because nothing is presented to them in a language yeah. that they understand well absolutely and that's why you have <laughs> this lady to like translate it for them and explain like <laughs> filling out the paperwork for them though right right yeah <laughs> this is if she does go and end up going to prison then yeah like 
<laughs> yeah, it can be spun as like she's doing a service for them, you know, trying to engage them and, and help them to uh, be able to participate. But she's also clearly taking advantage of all of them. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the brother and sister who came forward to the auditor, which was mentioned in that article just now, she had their parents like register for them at their address in Sioux City. They were at college at Iowa mm-hmm. State at the time. So that's why, the, like, they tried to vote and couldn't. It's because they had been registered somewhere else mm-hmm. without their knowledge, without their consent. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 such a stupid scheme. Yeah, and why did you think you were going to get away with it? Like, <laughs> But there's all these details in here that, like, confused me. Like, why are there write-ins for him as auditor? He wasn't yeah. running for auditor. <laughs> What? Like you fucked up even your dumb voter yeah, fraud. She must team? have been filling out the paperwork really fast. Just wrote <laughs> his name in on every every line. <laughs> uh, and you mentioned the he won easily, right? This is I pulled up the election results from 2020 Board of Supervisors District Three in Woodbury County. This is a heavily Republican area, anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Jeremy Taylor won the general election there. Uh, 22,533 votes against Mary Marty Potterbaum's 20,603 votes. So about 2,000 votes he won by. And it also says there's only 128 write-ins, <laughs> which is less than what that article said <laughs> there were. I'm having a lot of trouble. Well, like, Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Why would they write him in if he's already on the ballot? <laughs> if he's on the ballot, what's going on? I can't figure <laughs> out what happened here. <laughs> So I, I was going back, like, finding all the, like, following this whole thing. Um, her trial, or no, she was initially charged in January of 2023. The trial ended in November of 2023. So I'm going to try to give us a little bit more facts here. She was found guilty on everything, by the way. No one testified to seeing Kim Taylor personally sign any of the documents, but her presence in each voter's home when the forms were filled out was the common thread through the case. So they were calling all these witnesses and they're like, yeah, she was there. She talked us through this whole thing. And, and the signatures matched. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not even going to like enlist other people to help you forge the signatures. Come on. You, you <laughs> and also you're going to bring in their kids who like probably are much better, you know, like more acclimated to speaking right. English and like understand what's going on. Like you're going to vote on, on their behalf too. They're not as easy to swindle. Yeah. Uh, This is kind of a side thing, but uh, this is from Kim Taylor's defense attorney. Now is the time for empathy for a family that is suffering. This is how we solve controversies in America, with a jury, not with violence. We respect the jury's verdict and appreciate the jury's service. We'll move on to sentencing and try to get the best outcome at sentencing and assess any appellate decisions after sentencing. Wait, wait, wait. There would... There was going to be violence as yeah, a result of this? On? What are you... <laughs> it feels like you're misdirecting a little bit. Was there like an angry mob outside ready to kill her over this? <laughs> is this she referring to January 6th? <laughs> <laughs> Look, at least she did voter fraud and not an insurrection. Yeah. Right? You got to let us have something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm reading from a Sioux City Journal article by Nick Heitrick right now, which was at the time of the uh, the, the verdict. OK, yeah, here, here's where they get into the details that the, the witnesses were talking about. 
At trial, five voters who had immigrated from Vietnam and speak very little English testified through a translator that Taylor had frequently visited their homes to help them fill out voter registration forms, absentee request forms, and absentee ballots for them, and told them they could complete and sign forms for their children without their consent. One man said he'd hand over all the blank forms to Taylor, who would leave with them. Eight young adults, the sons and daughters, and a granddaughter of those five witnesses, who all were born in Sioux City and speak English, each testified they had never given consent for their parents to fill out election forms for them, and all were unaware they had done so. Many of them said they had never voted. (laughs) In one case, two of the men hadn't lived in Sioux City for several years. Yet voter registration forms, absentee requests, and ballots bearing their mother's Sioux City address were filled in their names. The fucked up thing, too, is they probably, the parents probably didn't even know anything was weird about it. They're like, oh, this is probably just how it happens. Like, Right. She's taking advantage of people who, I mean, they probably didn't vote that much either. Yeah. They've been intentionally excluded from the process as much as possible. Like, they probably aren't very knowledgeable about how this all works. It's like shady insurance agent behavior. and then i looked at an article from december uh by caitlin yamada also of the sioux city journal so there's obviously a lot of public pressure both from his colleagues and from like the woodbury county deputy sheriffs and correctional officers union the western iowa labor federation everyone's telling him to resign because like obviously (laughs) Yeah, when your <laughs> wife is doing like widespread like voter fraud on your behalf, that's like a pretty <laughs> pretty uh, straightforward thing to do. Right, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention he also ran in the primary that Randy Feenstra won in 2020. Mm. So he was trying to get into Congress before this. I I still after reading all this have not figured out why there were write-in votes. Like how was <laughs> he if he was not on the ballot, how did he win? And if this voter fraud was so insignificant to the totals, why was it happening? Did it actually help him? If he was relying on a writing campaign, how did he win so easily? I I still, like, there's so many holes in my understanding of this story. But anyway, there's understandably been a lot of pressure on him to resign, and he has not. But he did step down as the vice chair of the the Woodbury County Supervisors. So he, he does, you know... (laughs) <laughs> he's not gonna actually step down but he's gonna step down from the chair vice chair <laughs> this is a quote from him i work hard to do the absolute best job i can the voters hold us accountable every four years <laughs> that's a really funny thing to say after your <laughs> wife does voter fraud the, <laughs> the voters that my wife <laughs> enlisted to vote on <laughs> on, on my behalf like they held me accountable. <laughs> yeah. The the people put me here and it's going to be the people who decide if I get to stay here. And my wife is going to be a big part of that. <laughs> he said he appreciates that the process is in the hands of the people and is not decided by the county auditor or a majority of the county board. He also said he appreciates the people who have stood by his family. This is a man who respects democracy. You know, it's, it's not my fellow elected officials who decide if I get to stay in this office or not. It's it's an election, a democratic election that is fair and transparent and that that's the way things are done here in America, not with violence. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's just so funny to like repeatedly um insist that you you respect 
the democratic process when the whole reason everyone's mad at you is because you clearly don't. (laughs) Yeah. You're clearly trying to manipulate things illegally in your favor. Yeah. It's also another example of like, uh, you know, Republicans are always the ones talking about voter fraud, that they're filling out ballots for dead people or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like in almost every case, it's like of actual voter fraud. It's like someone who is, like like this or a, like a Republican person trying to vote for Trump like twice twice it, right right yeah that we talk about that um, that also some, happened in 2020 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more of that hypocrisy that that matters a lot yeah <laughs> um, okay well we've uh, we filled an hour talking about this but if you're listening to this and you know more about what is happening with Kim Taylor of Woodbury County. And can explain to me what is going on. Why were people writing him in? Why is he still in office now? Uh, reach out. Uh, you can do so at our phone number, 319-849-8733. Or you can talk to us on Twitter or, or email us or whatever. It's rockhardcaucus at gmail.com, by the way. I rarely tell the public about that email address. <laughs> but speaking of our phone number, uh, we did receive a call from uh, someone we've heard from a few times who I believe I believe there's some sort of like multiversal aspect to this phone number because we seem to be receiving calls from people who exist in other planes of existence. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, they tell us things that they're witnessing that don't seem to match what's being reported in our reality. Um, there's some sort of like split timelines thing going on or something, um, some kind of Mandela effect. Or a massive uh, media conspiracy to hide the truth from us. That's also an option, of course. The least likely option, I think, is that the people calling us are telling us things that aren't true. That I will not consider. Yeah, no. People who listen to this podcast have integrity. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's the call we received. Come in. Come in, Rock Art Caucus. All right. I'm finally able to get a message out. According to the scratches on the wall of my cell, it's been two weeks. I can't believe it. It feels like it's been been ten years since we've been locked inside inside the Vex apartment complex. Again, I I thought he was gonna leave, but he didn't. He didn't leave. He just holed up. Every day we start with the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we read the commandments. He's blocked out all the windows. We can't see outside. I don't know what day it is. I'm just going by my poop schedule. And according to that, it's been two weeks. Oh, man. Oh, no, they're coming. I have to I have to read the commandments. Number one, God is real. Number two, there are two genders. Number three, human flourishing re- requires fossil fuels. Number four, re- no, they're taking me. Wow. That cut off abruptly. Um, There's a serious situation going on there. But as an aside, if you're going to tell us you're keeping track of uh, time by your poop schedule, you're going to have to tell us a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) How often do you poop? Yeah, how often do you poop? Uh, Every one to two days is usually how it is for me. I stay real regular. Yeah? Um, Yeah, at least once a day. Yeah, that's good. It's supposed to be that way from... 
what I understand. Mm-hmm. I've become more regular as I've gotten older. That's good. Yeah. Has your diet improved? <laughs> it probably has. Yeah. It's not something that I pay that much attention to, to be honest. Um, anyway, we feel really bad about this guy who's being uh, trapped by uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Um. Yes. Possibly in another dimension. Um, I am glad that the Vivek's apartment guy called back, both to give us an update on the situation, but also to give me an opportunity to say that uh, I have not seen any reporting in the mainstream media about the Des Moines Ramaswam Autonomous Zone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew there was some kind of pun I could get to with that, but it took me it took me another call to reach that point. Ramaswam Autonomous Zone. <laughs> no, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Uh, again, you can call us at 319-849-8733. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us about your shit. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a treat this week. Uh, a rare piece of mail arrived in our P.O. Box. That's P.O. Box 5336 in Coralville, Iowa. 52241 is the zip code. I'm holding it up on the camera for Evan to see now. Oh, wow. Check that out. <laughs> Uh, we received a copy of Tyler Granger's Iowa Trouble with a big gold sticker on the front that says autographed copy. <laughs> it's a, a high-ticket item. A lot of people... Oh, wow. Nice. I'm showing him the autograph itself right now. Uh, dated November 25th of 2023. Significantly later than the book's uh, publishing date. Hmm. He's si- signing these several months after he released the book. Maybe a full year. I, I don't remember when exactly this came out. But uh, we received a letter along with the book, so let me just read from that real quick. This came from our friend Aaron. He's a good good friend of the show. He, yes. he has n- never called in. He's never called us. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's addressed to all of us. Hello, Justin. Hello, Evan. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Stella. Hello, Chuck. Uh Sorry, it's just me and Evan for now, and uh, yeah, that's how it's been pretty much for <laughs> yeah, a while. That's how it's but <laughs> but I'll let everyone know that you wrote to us. Uh, respect and honor to you all, the noble sorcerer posters of this fantastic state of ours. Wow, <laughs> I'm proud and happy to share with you this wonderful gift that I happened to come across. But first, I must tell you the tale of how I found it. Imagine, I was visiting Valley West Mall in West Des Moines, Iowa, on the afternoon of February 2nd. I don't think I've been to Valley West. Maybe I have. You been there, Evan? Yeah, yeah. Um, not often. I've only been there a couple times, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it's, there's not much reason to be there. Mm, yeah, that's that's accurate. Yeah. Aaron the only, says... The only poppin' mall is Jordan Creek, which sucks. Right, um, right. I've definitely been there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aaron says, regarding Valley West Mall, that place for the uninitiated is very empty. However, I happened to come across a small store near the children's play place. It is a small bookstore specializing in local publications. May honor guide their sales and advertising. He did not tell us the name of the store, however. (laughs) Uh, While perusing the location, my eyes were drawn to no less than three full copies of this very tome that I have included in this package. I would ask that the person reading this to glance at the cover and make note of the golden sticker upon it. An autograph, a personal signature belonging to the disreputable scourge who labels himself (laughs) as the author. (laughs) 
Fascinating. <laughs> it's like the golden ticket, that little yeah. golden sticker. <laughs> yeah. He writes worse than my child. Once I noticed the book, I purchased it forthwith and honorably supported a local business, which is why I should be praised for my actions. <laughs> also, I was at the mall with my father, so I had to explain to him who Taylor Gr- Tyler... Gr- oh, it says Taylor Granger, but uh, it's fine. He doesn't deserve to be spelled correctly. Uh, who he was and why he was such a vile little rat. All in all, a great event. Please enjoy this souvenir of one of your greatest podcasting moments. And may there be decades more of honorable and enjoyable podcasting events. Your podcast has been very enjoyable and informative, and we all enjoy it. May you all be guided by the deep and intrinsic honor that permeates your very souls and essences. With deep respect and honor, Aaron. (laughs) He loves honor and respect. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm with that. Thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, I Um, I appreciate that, Aaron. How many copies of that book do you have now? (laughs) I only have, well, I've got two physical copies and one digital copy. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, Without uh, really getting into any details, we should probably say that we uh, uh, do discourage giving Tyler money. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, we should probably be leaving him alone. He's, um, I think he's in a bad spot. Um, Mm -hmm. Prayers out for Tyler. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, anyone who... uh, willingly or unwillingly is associated with tyler um all of all of our sympathy to all of you uh so if you find a weird book at a store you can mail it to us p.o box 5336 in coralville iowa 52241 uh particularly uh any books by a man with the initials jd i would appreciate i am still missing a couple of those yeah (laughs) hell yeah also, if you want to do a FOIA request for Rock Hard Caucus and then uh, email us the results of that, that would be fun too. Yeah, try to try to that get might a free be a one, much but... cheaper. Yeah, that must be a much cheaper uh, request than the other one. But <clears throat> yeah, I'm. I should probably do that myself at some point. But if you happen to do it and you get charged for it, I will reimburse you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that does it for episode 136. Um, I do have a couple things I want to plug. If you are in Iowa City and you like experimental music, I'll be playing a solo set at Cloud House on March 3rd. Cloud House is the smaller house next to Close House, which is very big. It's like the mansion's garage. <laughs> nice. And spe- speaking of Close House, I'll be playing with the Christine Burke Ensemble at Close House on March 20th. So March is the month of me playing in that area. There's a third show that hasn't been announced yet where I will also be playing. Uh, again, a friend of the show, Tara McGovern's trial in Johnson County is March 12th. Uh, I, I'll i say that the, uh, the, the coordinator of expanded media coverage for this trial has been slow to respond to my emails <laughs> since I told him who I represent. <laughs> but I will, I will be attending regardless of whether my official media status is recognized or not. And a reminder to anyone listening to this that jurors cannot be punished for passing an incorrect verdict. And in many jurisdictions, a defendant who is acquitted cannot be tried a second time for the same offense. You have the right to say not guilty regardless of the evidence presented by the state. That's right. And you didn't hear me say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering about that. Do we uh, we need to consult a lawyer for, (laughs) for, like... (laughs) Uh, this information is available 
to anyone. Uh, they could have heard this anywhere. But they're true. definitely not familiar with us. But if you like our show and you want to give us money, you could go to patreon.com slash rockhardcaucus. We've got a very special thing coming out very soon. Uh, Evan and I just recorded the very first episode of our Slipknot review series uh, with Oliver Wyline, friend of the show. I'm planning on releasing that Wednesday. It will have it will feature new series art by uh, the podcast's official artist, Allie High. And uh, that's why this episode was dedicated to her cat, Neil. Oh, that, that nice. was what she suggested uh, for compensation. <laughs> OK, <the> OK, <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's that makes sense now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen up for that, maggots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll put that on the Patreon Wednesday. Um, we're going to close out with some music from the band Boot Camp, Iowa City's favorite hardcore band. Maybe mine. I don't know if it's everyone's. Uh, but this is their song, Nothing Changes. I'm playing boot camp because I will be running monitors for them later today at one of my day jobs. By the way, last week I played uh, the track Silly Race from Marble Madness, the arcade version. And no one called in to tell me that they recognized it. So that's, I was very sad about that. Dang. No Marble Madness heads out there. I, yeah. I played that game a fair bit, but not the arcade version. Yeah, yeah. I've I played the arcade version at Galloping Ghost in Chicago, but that place is so crowded and like the noise pollution is so intense that like I couldn't hear the music. Yeah. It's very good though. It's it's yeah. great like Yeah, it's a fun game for sure. Music. It's a classic. Yeah. If you have music and you'd like to feature it on this uh podcast, go to rockhardcock.us and click the submit music link at the top. Okay, that's everything. Thanks, Evan. That was fun. Thank you. Yep. Bye Appreciate everybody. It.